Welcome to the Covenant Women Podcast with Dr. Adonica Howard-Brown, your on-demand source for Holy Ghost-filled preaching and teaching. You bring blessing everywhere you go. You bring freedom. You bring liberty. Out of your inmost being will flow rivers of living water. Be refreshed, encouraged, and strengthened as you hear the Word today. So, 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 4. Love endures long and is patient and kind. In the least it says, love meekly and patiently bears ill treatment from others. Matthew 5, verse, just make sure you keep something, if you're going to turn the page, keep something in Corinthians because we're going to keep coming back to that. Matthew 5, uh, 38 says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the evil man who injures you, but if anyone strikes you on the right jaw or cheek, turn to him the other one also. I must say, when, when I first would read those scriptures, I've had, I had the hardest time <laughs> trying to figure out, now why on earth would God tell you to do that? But then when I began to understand and try and practice the love of God in my life, then I understood the purpose of it and what God was saying to me in that and how we're not to fight back. The Bible says vengeance is God's and we're not to take revenge. We're not, not to avenge ourselves, but God will avenge us. God will take care of it. Um, how many of you saw the books on Brother Yun, the, the heavenly man? Did you read him? Did you read the testimony? And I mean, he, he suffered so much abuse. And, and the thing, the story that had the most impact on me was when he was fasting for 72 days. And they would cover him with, they'd pee on him, and they'd stick his head in the toilet and smear him with feces. And I mean, they did all kinds of stuff to him. And, and, and um, the, the guards purposely put the, the worst prisoners in with him because they knew that they would torture him. They would, because their torture didn't work on him. So they put these mean guys in to try and break him down. And um, they tried everything they, um, they could. And then he had a little cup. He just, he had a scarf that a pastor had given him and a little cup that was, to him, represented his family. And had a, you know, it was symbolic to him of his family. And they took that little cup and they threw it in the, in the toilet. And he was so mad. He was about to, he finally, he'd had enough. He was about to get up and just let them have it. He'd put up with so much and like that was the last straw. And the Holy Spirit checked him. And he repented of getting angry and he said, I'm sorry, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I forgive them and release them. And you know that when he did that, everybody in that cell, the other seven guys, they all broke out in this horrible skin thing. Uh, that was, it was like open sores that were itchy and pussy and they, they, were, they were in agony. Everyone in, in the thing except him. So they tried to blame him. They said, oh, because he's so filthy, he brought the disease in. And, um, and they would beat on him, and then they, would, they took his clean blanket away from him and put it under the, the like, leader of the gang in the cell. And they gave the, the gang leader's filthy, dirty, pussy, infected blanket to him, and he still never got sick. And um, they, the, he was, I mean, he, he got now, 72, in the end it was 72 days without any bread or water, no food, no drink. And they called his family, and his mom and his wife said, this is, not, this is not him. 
this is not my son, this is not my husband. They had to turn him over and look for birthmarks because he looked like a raisin. He was, he, he looked like he was just totally, he, or, you know, nothing to eat, nothing to drink. And that, so you have to know that's supernatural. And, um, and his sister brought communion and gave him communion. And from that moment on, he started, he, he decided he was going to start eating again because he just said, I'm not going to eat or drink, Lord, until whatever, whatever it was he was pressing in for. And so he went back into the cell and he was still very, very weak. And um, uh, they began to, to just abuse him and whatever. And, and uh, he felt the anointing come on him and he stood up. And he had no voice. He's, he couldn't even talk to his family because he had no voice. He hadn't eaten for 72 days. And he, he couldn't really even stand up by himself. But he stood up. And in a loud voice, he said to them, he, he said to them, all of you in this place, you have done, uh, you know, you have done evil. And what you, de you deserve to be sent to hell. But Jesus Christ came to love you, to save you. And he preached the gospel to them. Every one of them hit their face and got saved. <laughs> Amen. And, you know, but it was when he made, see, the devil tried to get him into strife. And the devil would have destroyed his life. But when he purposed in his heart to, to just forgive, to love them, to, to let it go, then God could deal with them. And God began to deal with them. When you forgive people and you put them in God's hands, God will deal with them. But while you're fighting with them and while you're doing it, God can't do a thing for you. So you can do it in your own strength and get nowhere, or you can let it go, forgive, release, and let God take care of it. And God will always vindicate you. We, we've been in this, we were in a situation, we had a church, and we had people in the church that didn't tithe, they refused to tithe, and um, they just, just real religious spirit. I mean, you know, they were the wife, anyway, they, let me just say, they were just real religious. They just thought they were more, they were more special than everybody else and, and they knew what everybody else should be doing and shouldn't be doing and what, they were just real arrogant. And um, they, we, we bought a church building and we redid the whole church building and it cost a lot of money. And um, they wanted us to, they wanted, I mean the husband said to my husband, now if, if, if you take care of us and you favor us, you know, you'll have favor in this town. And we said, we're not going to do that. I mean, they wanted us to stand up every time somebody gave a, a, a substantial financial gift to stand up and, oh, auntie, you know, auntie whoever, auntie Jane gave $8,000. Everybody give her a hand. And we said, we're not going to do that because auntie Jane just sold her property and made 800000 Why should we make a big deal of her when there's a lady on the front row that gives out of her pension 40 bucks every month? I mean, she gave as much. So we're not going to stand up and pat anybody in the back, but they wanted us to do it to them. And of course, they were farmers, so they didn't have a consistent income. They got a wool check and a corn check and a wheat check and a, you know, so it was, it was a big amount of money and then nothing for months. And um, so they, you know, and this guy wanted, he'd tell, he'd tell everybody else he's, that he had a check for us. He had a $3,000 check for us, a $4,000. And we were like, well, let him bring it in. But he was waiting for us to go and ask for it. And we wouldn't play the game. We wouldn't favor, we wouldn't play their game. So they started stirring people up and saying, what are, they, what are they doing with the money? What are they doing with the money? What are they doing with the money? And it became this whole money issue. So we gave them the books. They had an outside accountant look at it. They could find nothing wrong with it. But they still, blah, 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 blah. Well, let me tell you, since then, everybody came back and apologized. Everybody came back and apologized to us and said, we're sorry. Some people had even started their own church and they said, we're sorry. We know where the money goes to. You know, we started a church. We understand where the money goes to. And we didn't draw a salary for two years. 
We didn't even draw a salary for two years. I mean, we lived hand to mouth. I had if I had 150 bucks to buy groceries, it was a lot for the month. And, and you say, well, how much is that? Same as what it would be today. And so, um, anyways, uh, you know, we, we walked away from that situation and they, we went, you know, and worked for a, a different ministry and, because eventually we got to the place where we realized it's us or them. So we said, you know what, if you want your church, if you want your town, you can have it. You can have it. We'll go. You do what you want to do. And of course, that family instituted their brother-in-law as the pastor, which was their aim all along. And of course, he took that thing into a whole cult. It became a cult, which really broke our heart. But you know what? We sowed into that. And, and, and we sowed. And what we gave wasn't lost. I believe God's pe you know, people's lives were touched and changed. There's still people. There's people out there that have their own churches that came out of that ministry. And, and they're doing well. They're doing things with their lives. So God did awesome things. But they ran straight up to the... To, to uh, the church we were working for and told them all the stuff about us that wasn't true. And what happened was nobody at that ministry came and asked us what happened except one man. One man, everybody else believed the lie. And that was very hurtful. That was very, especially when, you know, I, I, didn't, have, I didn't have my own, I had some of my own furniture, I had other people's furniture, I had a red couch, I had a green couch. I mean, the furniture was as ugly as all get out. I had, I had pink curtains, I had green curtains, I had red curtains, nothing matched, it wasn't the right length. The stuff belonged to someone else, so I couldn't just cut the curtain and make it fit. So I just, nothing, you know, but it, those, those things weren't important to me. Some people, it's a big deal, they can't live in the house unless everything's color-coordinated. I didn't give a rip. And so someone came anonymously and gave me 500 bucks for curtains. I mean, 500 bucks for curtains, that was a huge amount of money. And I mean, I think I probably bought four dresses the whole two years I was there. I mean, we didn't spend money on anything. It was like food and that was it. And we ministered Sundays at that little church. We tried to break them out of their farm mentality. They put their kids in boarding, their six-year-old in boarding school. They lived 10 minutes out of town. I mean, so people wouldn't drive. So we drove to them. So we do our Sunday services. Then every night of the week, we were in a different city. Some of them were, or town. Some of them were 20 minutes away. Some of them were an hour and a half away or an hour. But we drove and, I mean, we gave, we put everything into that. We gave everything we had to, to, to put into those people. We sewed. My husband took that 500 bucks for curtains and he's like, this is going in the ministry. And he put it in the ministry because ministry was everything. And I was like, oh. <laughs> curtains. You know, and after you've done that and then people turn around and accuse you of being, not having integrity in finances. That, could, that made me very angry. I was upset, I was hurt. I really was. I couldn't look at those people and smile at them for two years. It was very hard. It was very difficult. And we could have gone up there and, and told everybody, that's not really what happened, this is what happened. And the Lord told us, don't say anything. He said, don't say anything. He said, I will vindicate you. I will vindicate you. And so people believed the lie, we just shut up. We let our gift make a way for us. We just. Up, just flowed in the anointing that was on our life, just operating the gifts that were on our life. We just gave, gave people the word. We just loved them. We just blessed them. We just did our best in that place. And within two years, God had totally turned the situation around. When we left, we left with honor. We left with honor. And there were many people that have stepped out and, and started TV stations that have gone around the world and stepped out into ministry and gone and, and, and taken a leap of faith to go to another country because they said, if Rodney and Danica can do it, we can do it. And so God raised us up as an example to other people, not because of anything of us or that we're so special, but just because he's so awesome. All we did was trust him and obey him. 
We didn't know what was around the corner. We just had to do what he told us to do. And, and God used that as a testimony to ignite other people. But we had to allow the Lord to, to vindicate us. We could, if we had, because, you know, it wouldn't have done any good for us to try and defend ourselves. They wouldn't have believed us anyway. And a lot of times, it was a Shakespeare that said, me think the lady doth protest too much. You know, sometimes when you, when you protest too much, people think that, yeah, that's exactly what's going on because they're protesting too much. And so sometimes you just got to shut up and let God make a way for you. And so you can't elbow people out the way. You can't push yourself forward. You look at me, pick me, you know, and there's a lot of people. They're just pushy, 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 pushy. You're not walking in love when you're being pushy. Love steps back and God will promote you. God, honestly, some, there are sometimes where you, I didn't want to be promoted. And I know with this revival, we knew when, when God gave us this revival that people weren't going to like it and that people were going to hate it and people were going to you know, come against us and criticize us and everything else. And, but we made a commitment. We, we would rather have the presence of God and have people's not understanding and people criticizing than, than have people like us and not have the presence of God. Amen. Because the fact of the matter is not everybody's going to like you anyway. So you might as well just, you know, just do, <laughs> just please God and do, and do what he wants you to do. Amen. And so we had to make the commitment. And, and I felt I, there, was, there was one particular man who's critical of everybody in the body of Christ. So we shouldn't get offended if he criticizes us because we're in good company. And he, I mean, he criticizes the dead and the living. And, and, and he was criticizing one of the ministries that was kind of in the forefront with the Holy Ghost ministry at that time. And we could feel, because from Lakeland, things exploded. We went on radio. We went on television. Everybody found out about revival. And it felt like God had a hand in our back. And it felt like we'd been hidden and protected almost because all these other people were getting the attacks. And it felt like they were stepping aside and we were going. <laughs> and God was like pushing us like right, in, right under this guy's nose, you know. And, and we really, it was like, oh, do we have to do this to him? <laughs> And then he found out about us, and then we were his favorite topic on radio. Oh, you know, Rodney, the crazy guy, the one that's, you know, whatever, hypnotizing the people and, and all that stuff. So, you know, you, you don't always want to push yourself out there unless God's with you because he's going to have to protect you. Amen. And God can only keep you where he took you. So if you go there by yourself, you're going to have to maintain by yourself. And if God does it, it's easy. It might be hard, but there's a grace. There's a grace. If the grace isn't there, then the smallest job is difficult. But if the grace is there, you can do anything. Amen. Amen. Love is kind, gentle, benign, pervading and, and penetrating the whole nature, mellowing all which would have been harsh and austere. This, this is the uh, weasts again. So love is benign. Benign means gracious. Love is gracious. Pervading means to saturate and to soak thoroughly. So love saturates and soaks. And, and I mean, when we live in the love of God, it soaks us to where we look like it, we smell like it, we walk like it, we talk like it. When you allow the love of God to do a work in your life, it's going to be all through you and your words and your deeds. Everything you do is going to carry the love of God. When people come into your presence, they're going to sense God's presence. They're going to sense the love of God. When you walk in the love of God, people will sense God's presence on you. And, and, and it will, it'll touch them. 
It'll touch them. Amen. Mellowing means softening. So love softens us. It softens everything that would have been harsh, rough, cruel, or unfeeling. And that which austere means harsh and strict. So love softens everything about us that's harsh and rough and, 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 and strict and unfeeling and cruel. Love softens all of our edges. Have you ever heard people talk about a diamond in the rough? Well, love is what softens those and, and perfects that, that diamond. Then in the Amplified it says, Love never is envious nor boils over with jealousy. Love is not boastful or vainglorious, does not display itself haughtily. Louise says, love is not envious, love does not brag, love does not show itself off, love is not ostentatious. I had another scripture for that, but I think I'm going to find it further down. So love is, oh, there it is. Okay. So love is not ostentatious. Ostentatious means to show off, an attempt or an intention to attract notice. There's some people that just, like their life's goal is to get noticed. They'll do anything to get noticed. But love doesn't try to be noticed. Amen. Love's not pushy. Um, you know, two of the areas you have to watch in ministry are Judas the, the money ministry and the, the worshipers, the singing. Because, you know, Judas was tempted. He, he, had, he held the person. He was tempted and it caused him to, because of his covetousness, he betrayed Jesus. And then when he woke up and smelt the coffee, he felt so bad he killed himself. So don't ever think that you are above being tempted because you're not. Always protect yourself. Always pr protect your staff. Always protect people with you. Don't allow them or yourself to be put in a position where you could be tempted. Amen. The, if you live your life by the motto of um, avoid the appearance of evil, that would really help you. So what does it look like? I'm not even going to do something if it even looks like it's bad. And th that'll, that will really help you a lot. And then, then anybody who's a singer or a worshiper really needs to keep a humble spirit. Because it's so easy, you know, Lucifer was the anointed cherub. That was his job, leading praise and worship in heaven. What happened? He said, I will exalt my throne above the throne of God. You've got to be smoking some bad weed to think you can, to think you can sit on God's throne and dominate him. I mean, and that, that was a sin that was found in him. And, of course, he was cast out of heaven. And, and, and he, he's, he's too stupid to know he shouldn't have done that. He's just so, he's so arrogant. He, he does, he's not... They hadn't repented yet. And um, so we really have to be careful that we're not tempted in those areas of pride, of touchiness, of, you know, of... Um, uh, and then on the other side, too, you know, the devil's always going to beat you up. Anytime you get up and you do something for the Lord, especially speaking in front of people or, or singing in front of people and you get off the platform and the devil's going to say, you did a horrible job, that was awful, that was terrible. And you really have to deal with that. You really, really have to deal with that and not, not let him beat you up and just say, look, I did it as unto the Lord. Because if you do everything for God, I know if, if I get up on the platform and, I, and, and I'm like, Lord, for you, for your glory, for you, it's not hard. It's much harder when you're thinking about yourself. What do people think of me? Oh, what, what if I mess up? What if I, it doesn't matter. You know, I'm doing this for you, Lord, whatever for you. It totally changes your, your motivation. 
and really helps you to do what you're supposed to do. So, so love doesn't, love isn't, it's not envious, it's not jealous. You know, the Bible says God is jealous, but it doesn't mean jealous like it's talking about here. God is protective over us. And you know, like a husband is jealous over a wife. There's a, there's a good jealousy of protecting, but then there's another jealousy which becomes controlling. That's not good. And so when people are jealous and envious, and, and you should be happy when someone else is blessed. Don't, don't, don't be mad when someone else gets blessed because you're going to miss your blessing. Be happy when they get blessed. Say, mine's coming, and rejoice with them. Be happy for them. Some people have to work really hard at that area of their life. But don't, don't envy, don't be covetous. Because, you know, when you envy someone else and you're jealous and you're covetous of what they have, what you are saying is that I don't believe that God can give it to me. I believe that I have to take this to get it. No. If you believe God can give it to you, you're not going to be jealous of what they have. Oh, that's awesome. I'm so glad that you have that. And, and you have yours, and God's given me mine, and, and we all have, you know, and we're all happy. <laughs> and you're playing with your toys, and I'm playing with my toys. <laughs> and we can share, and we can bless each other, and be happy when each other's blessed. <laughs> yeah, and we're not, we're not boasting. We're not vainglorious. We're not always trying to get the attention for, for the wrong reasons. We, see, you, the glory always has to go to God. And so when you're trying to get attention, then you're trying to take what's His. So always give the glory to the Lord. That doesn't mean you have to be so humble you don't ever do anything. You know, that, that's not true humility to... But, you know, be bold in the Lord. Amen. So there's a difference between arrogance and boldness. So you can be bold in the Lord. But, but don't be arrogant or boastful or or haughty, or boastful, you know, and it's great to give testimonies, but, but don't exaggerate them. You know, tell, I mean, you know, we've got to give testimonies. It blesses people to give testimonies. But, you know, if you had 5,000 people there, don't tell us you had 50,000. <laughs> 5,000 is awesome. See, because if you lie, your ministry is not going to prosper. But if you tell the truth, you will be able to genuinely one day say, I had 50,000 there. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we're not to be envious of others. We're not to brag, not to show ourselves off, not be ostentatious. We just, you know, blend in until God tells you to stand out. Verse 5 in the Amplified, love is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. We says, Love does not have an inflated ego. Love does not think too highly of itself. Romans 12 and verse 3. Romans 12, 3. For by the grace, the unmerited favor of God given to me, I warn everyone among you not to estimate and think of himself more highly than he ought, not to have an exaggerated opinion of his own importance, but to rate his ability with sober judgment, each according to the degree of faith apportioned by God to him. It's better for you to think less of yourself than more. Amen. And of course, if you know how much God loves you and that you're valuable and precious, you're going to have to, you're going to begin to change your own self-image because we need to, we need to love ourselves but in God because remembering that we don't deserve it. We don't, God wants us to love ourselves, not in an arrogant way, but in a humble way and to accept ourselves and you know, and it's very hard, especially when other people have put 
you know, undue expectations on us all our life. Or, or some of us just push ourselves. I know I'm a person, I push myself. I'm very hard on myself. And I, I, had, I went out with a guy once that, I mean, he always had to like, do the nail check. I mean, your nails had to be perfect. Everything had to be perfect. And, and I mean, by the time the relationship broke up, which it was destined to do anyway, I was a nervous wreck. And I said, God, I don't want to have any men in my life at all. I mean, friends, yes, boyfriends, no, none, nada, zip. <laughs> I just want to serve you. No, guys, forget about it. They're, they're just, it, I was so hurt through that whole thing just because I didn't need that in my life. I, I don't know how people live with someone like that. And uh, he's just never happy with anything. Some people never happy with anything. And they're always trying to change everybody else. Meantime, it's them that has to change. And, uh, and so it, it wasn't very long after that. In fact, it was like that week that I met Pastor Rodney, and I didn't know the Lord had already said to him in an audible voice, that's your wife. And thank God he never came up to me and said, you know, uh, and told me that or said, I want to date you, because I would have said, in your dreams, buddy. <laughs> and, uh, you know, sometimes when you push and you push and you push and you push, you get nowhere. It's like Pastor Rodney wanting to come to America. He knew he was called here, and he kept trying to do it and find a way and make a way, and finally said, God, this is not working. If you want to do it, you're just going to have to do it because I'm finished with it. And then God opened the door. <laughs> I mean, within months, the doors opened. So just don't push, push. Just leave it. Rest. If, even if God's told you you're going to do it, let him do it. Just let him do it. Let him take you there. He, he's, he told you the direction, but he'll get you there step by step. And so, you know, he, he just loved me. He just was a friend to me. He just shared the word with me. And that drew me. I just... That with the word, we'd sit and we'd pray and we'd, we'd go out witnessing together and we'd, we'd um, you know, always with groups of kids and go on youth camps and, and we'd share the word and I'd sit and cry and we'd, because the word was just nourishing me and feeding me. Just, I, I was just soaking it in and, and just loving every minute and we'd sit for hours and just, all the guys would just be playing instruments. We'd just sing in tongues for hours and, um, and just worship God and then uh, we went together to go witness to a guy that we'd had in our heart and we couldn't find him. So he said, well, I'll take you out tonight. So we went out to eat and I took him to drop him off. I had the car, remember? And, um, <laughs> and I had said to my mom right before that, just like a couple of weeks, I said, Mom, I love this guy. I said, I'm not talking about dating him or marrying him because my mother was like, you be friends, but you don't have to get serious, you know? And uh, so I had to tell her quickly, I'm not, not dating him or marrying him, Mom, but it's just I love him from here. But I didn't know that God had already spoken to her about him <laughs> about six months, seven months before, eight months before that. And the Lord told her, mark him. And she said, mark him? What does that mean? And, um, but uh, I, it, was just, it was from my heart. And then when he said, we spoke about ministering together, and then he said, yeah, we, yeah we, we're going to minister. We get called to minister together. We're getting married. And I was like, we're getting what? <laughs> we're not even dating. We're not even going out. We're just friends. How can we get married? And it took me about two weeks to like, because I said to the Lord, I need someone strong. That's all I knew. There's only one thing I had in my shopping list. I need someone stronger than me. And he was so sweet and he was so kind. He was so precious to me. I thought, he can't be the right guy. I'm gonna walk all over him. And because I had, I had one of those boyfriends and, and I didn't want one like that. And anyways, and finally I just, the Lord just, just showed me and we sat sharing our heart and, and what he was called to do was exactly what I felt in my heart. And I knew, I knew and I said, okay, Lord, I'll marry him. And for two weeks I'd been walking around confused. My heart and my head were wrestling with each other. And the moment I said, I submitted to the will of God and I said, okay, Lord, I'll marry him. 
the peace of God hit me. I was drunk. I didn't know about being drunk, and I know now. But when I look back, I was drunk because people were talking to me, and I was just looking at them. <laughs> and I mean, when the peace hit me, I still went because it was a, when I said, "Okay, Lord, I'll marry him." It was kind of a faith statement. It was I still don't see it with my head, but I make this commitment from my heart. And and when the peace hit me, I was like, "Really? You mean it? This is it?" I mean, I was 18. I, I, I was totally unprepared. I thought I'd get married when I'm 24. So it just wasn't what I was thinking. I just told God, no guys. And God brought the perfect, perfect one. And so God knows. But it was, it was just, he just loved me. And I just, the love of God came out of me. I just, there was something, I, I, just, I just loved him from my heart. And that, that's been the foundation of our relationship. And that's what's kept us. And you know, because there, there are many degrees of love and we've talked about them and, and every one of them has their place in a marriage. But the most important thing you, you, you have to have in a marriage is that agape love and preferring one another and loving one another. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Love is not rude or unmannerly. Love does not act unbecomingly. God's love in us does not insist on its own rights or its own way, for it's not self-seeking. Louise said, love is not, does not act unbecomingly. Love does not seek after the things that are its own. So love is not rude. Love's never rude to people. Love, love, is, love has good manners. What are manners? Manners is when you care about people, when you prefer them above yourself. That's what manners. That's all manners. Manners is just preferring people. And, and, and I'm sad to say that maybe our grandparents had, you know, they had a lot more manners than we do today. You know, what's happened is people have thought that self-esteem is much more important for children than manners. No, manners. It's, you know, we need to rather, we need to encourage our kids and, and, and build them up in the Lord. And, and there's a right way to praise and, and there's a wrong way. But we need to teach them manners. We need to teach them to be considerate of other people. And because you're preparing them for life, you're preparing them for marriage. And, and, and especially in a marriage situation, in any relationship, but especially in marriage, a lot of the problems in marriage could be fixed if people just had manners. Yeah. Amen. We're just polite to one another and, and kind in, in that way. So love isn't rude. It doesn't act unbecomingly. It doesn't tell dirty jokes. It doesn't, it's not, you know, it, it's, not, it's, not, it's just not rude. It doesn't put itself out there and just to talk ugly and be ugly. You know, love thinks about the other person. It considers the other person. And... Um, Anyways, and then God's love doesn't insist on its own rights. You know, when a baby's born, they're, they're a fresh, clean slate, but they're pretty selfish. I mean, all they think about is me, 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 and I. I'm hungry. I'm wet. I'm tired. <laughs> I mean, they're born entirely selfish, only thinking about themselves, and they have to learn to think about other people. They have to learn that they're not the most important thing in the universe. And the problem is that, especially like with people's first baby, they, they are the most important thing in the universe, and they, then they grow up thinking that they are. A lot of times, the fifth kid is much better off because they've learned they're not the center of the universe, they're just one of a crowd. And, <laughs> you know, and they'll get it when it's ready. <laughs> and, and they'll get seen to you know, when it's convenient. And they learn they're not the center of the universe, and they actually do better in life than someone that's pampered and think this, that thinks that they're the center of the universe. So don't do your kids a favor when, when, they, when, when the whole family revolves around them. They need to learn to fit in the family. 
And that's why husbands and wives, you need to take care of each other first and then your kids. If you know your relationship, I mean. You need to take time. And sure, there are times where you, you sacrifice things for your kids. But there's times where the kids go to a babysitter and you have a date night and you spend time together and you nourish your marriage relationship. So many people, their marriages fall to, to pieces because they spend all their energy on the kids. The kids are going to leave. And they don't give a rip. They're going to leave the house and go live their life and they don't care what happens to you. You know, in that sense, they're not going to, you know, be there for you and talking to you and fellowshipping with you. They're going to go live their own life. They might call you once a week, but they're going to go live their own life. But your spouse is going to be there. And so take care of those relationships. So a child insists on its own rights or its own way. But as we mature, and a baby Christian wants its own way. Someone who's never matured in this wants their own way. But love doesn't always want its own way. Love wants what the other person wants. Love cares about the other person. What, what would you like? What would you prefer? Love is not self-seeking or love does not seek after the things that are its own. Love is not selfish. Then love is not touchy or fretful or resentful. In the Weasts it says, love is not easily irritated, provoked, exasperated, and aroused to anger. Proverbs 14.29 says, he who is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is hasty of spirit exposes and exalts his folly. Proverbs 16.32, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, he who rules his own spirit than he who takes a city. Proverbs 19 verse 11, good sense makes a man restrain his anger, and it is his glory to overlook a transgression or an offense. James chapter 1 and verse 9. Understand this, my beloved brethren, and we're going to go down to 22. Understand this, my beloved brethren, let every man be quick to hear, a ready listener, slow to speak, slow to take offense, and to get angry. For a man's anger does not promote the righteousness God wishes and requires. So get rid of all uncleanness and the rampant outgrowth of wickedness, and in a humble, gentle, modest spirit, receive and welcome the word, which implanted and rooted in your hearts contains the power to save your souls. Be doers of the word, obey the message, and not merely listeners to it, betraying yourselves into deception by reasoning that is contrary to the truth. So that is not touchy. There's so many people that just touchy, touchy, touchy. I mean, you can't say anything and they get, take offense. And, and I, I, I hate when I have a conversation with somebody and they're touchy about everything. You can't say anything and it's like, then it comes back to you that you did, you did this and you said this and you're like, I don't even remember saying that. That's not even something that I would say. And yet that's what they heard. And it's like, how did they hear that? I was saying this and they heard that. I mean, there's some people you talk to and then, you know, you're talking and then they, they're talking back to you. And as they're talking back, you realize they totally misunderstood what I said and twisted it around. Or you have some people that when, when, um, when you, you, you're, you're talking to them and, and uh, uh, the, the, you know, it, they just get offended and they, whatever and you don't even know and, and um, or, or they, they uh, or they're twisting the thing around or uh, uh, they they're hearing something else that you're not even saying or or they're reading something in like people what they do is they hear what you say and then instead of just hearing what you say they take it a step further well she said that but she actually meant this that frustrates me so bad I, I can't I can't be around those people I don't want to because I, you end up offending them every day you just you're always doing stuff and you, you finally like I just got to stay away from this person <laughs> you know, don't 
be one of those people. Don't be all touchy. Don't read things into things. Don't always be, be reactionary. And you know, it's like the kids, he's touching me, he's touching me. <laughs> kids love to do that to each other and they're, they're touchy. Don't touch me. And they're, there, there. I mean, oh, I had three of them <laughs> in the back seat of the car. My dad had five. <laughs> I thought, oh Lord, is that what we did to my dad? <laughs> I know he, anyway, <laughs> he, he would wish kids on us exactly like we were. One day, when you grow up, you can have kids exactly like you. <laughs> and then you have your kids and you go, oh my Lord, it's me. <laughs> and I still haven't got that issue sorted out in my own life and I've got to fix it in theirs. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> But love isn't touchy. So if you touchy, 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 and you take everything personal, and you get all mad, especially the ladies, a lot of times we're, we're more sensitive, but then we can also be touchy. And especially, you know, when your hormones are in an uproar, you know, we're especially touchy. Just let the Lord help you with that. Let the Lord help you. <laughs> and you know, some guys can be just as touchy and, you know, just hear things that weren't said and whatever, you know. And that's why in a marriage it's good to just run a bath and sit in it and talk for three hours. And a lot of times you'll find out that all those issues aren't issues anymore. It's just you've got to communicate. You've got to talk to people. Don't, don't hold things and, and, you know, and think them and, and, don't, and not discuss them. Talk it out. Open it out and, and talk about it. Amen. Love takes no account of the evil done to it, it pays no attention to a suffered wrong. The Weist says, love does not take into account the evil which it suffers. L Luke uh, 23, 33 and 34 says, and when they came to the place which is called the skull, in Latin uh, um, it's called Calvary, in Hebrew it's called Golgotha, there they crucified him and along with the criminals, one on the right and one on the left, and Jesus prayed, Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they divided his garments and distributed them by casting lots for them. Then Stephen, before he, was, before he died, the first martyr in Acts 7 and verse 60, and falling on his knees, he cried out loudly, Lord, fix not this sin upon them. Lay it not to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep in death. So Jesus did it as our example. Stephen did it as a New Testament example, a someone who wasn't perfect. I mean, you could say, well, Jesus was God. He could forgive everybody. But Stephen was just a person like you and me. And as they were killing him, he, he just said, God, don't lay this into their charge. Forgive them. That's true forgiveness. That's true love. So love does not take into account the evil it suffers. You know, there are some people that remember forever. They've got an elephant's memory for what you've done to them. And every opportunity, they're going to drag it out and tell someone, do you know what she did to me? Oh, <laughs> that's so, ugh. just forget about it, let it go, forgive and let it go. And forgiveness means, because there's a lot of times the Lord had to kind of yank my chain because you'll kind of start talking about something someone did and the Lord says, um, <clears throat> I thought we dealt with that. It's like, oh yeah, I forgave them. <laughs> anyway, I forgive them, Lord, I deal with it again, Lord. So we have to be careful not, when, when you rehash things sometimes, you know, like I'm even, I'm sharing things that happened to us and, but I don't hold anything in my heart against those people. I, I've released them. I forgave them. I'm just doing it as an example. 
and 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 actually the, the people that that treated us that abused us badly the family that did ended up losing everything they lost everything i mean stuff that that been handed down for them in ge for generations because the farm goes down from the father to the son to the father they lost everything and so you know but and i and i wasn't happy when i heard that i wasn't excited when i heard that we, we i mean there was a pastor that was being so ugly to us when we started our church here he just persecuted us he was so ugly he said ugly things i mean the lies he, he said about us got around the world we were in japan and they were telling us oh yeah and we we're like oh great and you know and he he's, he's lost his church he lost his family he lost everything and you know we cried when we heard it yes. we cried when we heard it so the bible says don't rejoice when your enemy you know gets what's coming to him because god might turn around and be mad with you so even when someone who's done something mean to you uh, you know, has some misfortune in their life, don't rejoice, don't rejoice, don't rejoice. It's not going to be well with you if you rejoice. Don't be happy. Rather pray for them, cry for them, feel sorry for them. And if you've already dealt with it, you will. You'll just feel sad for them. You know, God needs all of us that he can get. We don't need the body of Christ failing and falling and, and, and just blowing themselves out the water because they, they wouldn't walk in love, you know, we, or they you know, just in sin or whatever. God needs every one of us. And so we shouldn't rejoice and be happy when somebody fails like, oh, you know what happened to them? No, we need to go, that's awful. Pray for them, pray for them, pray for them. That, you know, even if they've hurt you, just to pray for them. And, and we're gonna, we're gonna probably talk about that tomorrow, about praying for our enemies. But love does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, this is verse six, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. Love does not rejoice at iniquity, but rejoices with the truth. So love is not pleased or satisfied when there's no justice or when people are dishonest in their dealings. Love does not embrace or encourage a liar or a false witness or a thief or a person who stirs up strife. If someone comes to you with gossip, don't be nasty to them. Just say, you know, maybe you should just go and, and just pray for them. Just, just. You know, you don't have to be nasty back at them when they come with gossip and say, you are just a gossiper, get away from me. <laughs> just, just, just love them, but just tell them, look, I, you know, I, I don't want to hear that. I, I really don't need to hear that. You need to just go pray about it. Love does not condone or encourage illegal acts. Love rejoices when people make right choices. Love loves the truth. Love is blessed when others reap the harvest and are blessed. Love embraces and accepts the truth, even if it hurts. Sometimes the truth, you know, hurts you. Sometimes the truth cuts down into your heart. But love embraces the truth. I want to hear the truth. I want, I want God to tell me when I'm doing something wrong, when I'm wrong, even if it hurts. I want my husband to tell me. I mean, there have been some discussions we've had, that, and he told me, well, you know, some things about myself I didn't want to hear. And it was very painful, but I could go away and I could think about it and pray about it and let the Lord do a work in my life and change. And so it hurts when you hear the truth. It hurts, but we need to embrace the truth. We need to want to hear the truth. And we made, we made a commitment to God one time um, many years ago. In fact, when we had the church, I mean, Kirsty was a baby, Kelly was a baby. And we said to the Lord, Lord, if we get to heaven and you tell us we didn't do what you told us to do or what you called us to do, we're going to say it's your fault because we give you permission to knock in on our life anytime and straighten us out. And I tell you what, he does. We see people all over the place. It's like they can do whatever they want. We're like, how can they get away with that? But you know what? I'm happy I can't get away. I'd rather God yank my chain when the thing's still small before it grows into a huge log. Amen. Hallelujah. Bless you.